under orders from Aventru, probably. <laughs> okay, yeah, obviously, what's going on? Of course. Why? Why you got to blame the Nosferatu? I don't know why Aventru truthering. <laughs> For the Mundangerous Chantry in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 156 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're reviewing the newest edition of the 1990s-ist game of all time. It's Vampire the Masquerade, 5th edition. We'll walk you through it cover to cover and let you know if it's worth adding to your collection. So just a bit of housekeeping. Normally we have the Dynasty Unwarranted recap and the character creation forge uh, to make more room for Vampire. We are going to pause those uh, segments until next week. They will be returning. Oh yeah, they're usually really awesome. And in the meantime, we are gearing up for Gen Con, which is next week. Uh, Yeah, we will be at the Don't Split the Podcast Network panel at 5 p.m. on Saturday in Lucas Oil Stadium, and there's a meetup afterward. We are the newest members of the Don't Split the Podcast Network, uh, which is, I guess, why we'll we'll be there. So if you are a new listener or an old listener, come there. You can meet us uh, in the flesh and possibly speaking publicly, which will be terrifying. Yeah, but we'll have stuff to give away, so, you know, it, it'll be worth it. Right. You know, if you have to deal with the fact that we're there, you know, and you're seeing our faces. Right. Yeah, when we disappoint you, we'll make a make it up to you. <laughs> oh, I am used to disappointing people. Do not worry. I'm an expert. Five uh, dots. I got five dots in disappointing uh, people. Oh, dear. Not our, uh, already. <laughs> so uh, we also still have tickets available for the introduction to DMing for D&D uh, panel on Thursday at 9 a.m., uh, which is with Michael from the RPG Academy and Victoria from the Broadswords podcast. Uh, we actually sold out our first room, and so they gave us a bigger room. Um, but if you already have tickets, that means you need to double-check the location on the website because we are no longer in a room in Lucas Oil Stadium. We are now in some hotel ballroom. I don't know which one. They all run together. Some random hotel. Yeah, but so if you have already gotten tickets for that panel, please just double-check the Gen Con website. The website is correct. Uh, we'll be tweeting out the location and everything as well, but just... The website is the source of truth. Do not trust your paper ticket. So for all you suckers who won't be at Gen Con, that's fine, I guess, because you can figure out whether or not you're going to buy Vampire 5th Edition. Because this is a review of the whole 400-page book. It is really long. Yeah, it's a very, very long book. I assume it's heavy, too, because we got like advanced PDF copies to review. Well, it's it's not heavy on word count, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of art there's a lot of art there's a lot of margin like somebody was writing a term paper <laughs> so for those of you who don't know anything about vampire we actually talked about the campaign setting and how you can use it in your games uh, back in episode 141 which was not that long ago i actually didn't know fifth edition would be out so soon i didn't either i don't really follow vampire so this was a uh, eye-opening and oh, vein opening vein uh, opening. yeah mm. uh, neck exposing so this is the fifth edition of the most popular role-playing game set in the world of darkness which is white wolf's overarching setting for all of its rpg properties it's like a darker version of the real world where monsters and horrors actually pull the strings of um the main events of the world 
and it is uh, owned by White Wolf, distributed by Modifius, and it is available at Gen Con. If you are there, it's at the White Wolf booth, but otherwise it should be out shortly thereafter. So yes, this is a fifth edition of the game. It turns out the 20th anniversary edition that came out in 2011 was technically a fourth edition, even though it wasn't billed as such. But this is the fifth edition. However, you'd never know that by looking at the cover because it's billed as just Vampire the Masquerade. No edition number. Uh, no Requiem, which for those of you who know anything about this was the, I guess, se- sequel, uh, alternate timeline of Vampire the Masquerade? Reboot? I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, Requiem is, the storyline of Requiem is mostly or somewhat ignored, but also somewhat incorporated. We'll, I, we'll get to that. So anyway, so the in-game story is going to return to and update the original fiction of Vampire the Masquerade, uh, bring the setting from the late 90s, early 2000s into the modern day. And everything that entails. Cell phones and the internet and the NSA. Well, sort of. <laughs> sort of, kind of. <laughs> So players are one of the kindred, which is their word for vampires, who must feed on the blood of the living. They battle with human governments, clandestine organizations, and special forces, but their real struggle is internal, man. Like, both against other vampires and then also, like, against the beast that lives within them that hungers for blood. One thing I actually like about Vampire and in this version of Vampire is that you you get all these differing outlooks. You have these clans. We'll go more in depth later, but they all sort of focus on one aspect of, of humanity um, that exemplifies them, whether it's, you know, beauty or magic. <laughs> you Power. Know, that, that part of humanity, magic, that one. Yeah, because, well, remember, in the world of darkness, there are actual humans who are actually magicians. Yeah, I guess sort of. <laughs> Uh, it reminds me a little bit of like Planescape factions, but I like anything that kind of sort of reminds me of Planescape. All right. So let's talk about the book. So the first 30 something pages are just lore. Straight up lore. Uh, it, d- it doesn't even talk about mechanics in any way. Uh, it begins with a, f- I think, four page note from Mina Harker, who whom you may know from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um. She's now a full-fledged vampire. Turns out she didn't get that happy ending from the book. Uh, And she's writing a letter to her great-granddaughter saying, hey, sorry for turning you into a vampire because it was the only way to save your life. Yeah, but also, like, I'm not really going to be around, so maybe this letter will give you a few tips, and good luck, kid. Yeah. So the first 30 pages are are essentially, like, gathered notes that Mina has put together to give to her descendant. And if you remember from the original Dracula... That's essentially how Dracula is written, and Mina is also the one who is gathering all the notes about the vampire attack. So it's definitely a, a strong nod, an homage to uh, the original Dracula. Which is also, therefore, a strong nod, an homage to Ken Height, the lead designer's previous work, the Dracula dossier. Uh, yeah, made for Knights Black Agents, which is like World of Darkness, but from the side of the guys trying to kill the vampires. Right. We'll cover, I think, uh, quite a bit of that uh, pretty soon maybe next week yeah like maybe we're interviewing ken next week possibly spoiler so there is uh, a lot of backstory here it gives you updates for um what's been going on in the past 20 years for people who know the world of darkness but it also kind of writes it from the perspective of you know useful for new players because this is written for a new vampire yeah and it's not all from the perspective of mina this is notes um, that she has gathered written by many different people over centuries. And the big, big piece of information that 
players should take away is that there is now actively a second inquisition uh, which is basically all the intelligence agencies of the world who have discovered that there are vampires and now are out to destroy them all you get things like uh, notes from islamic vampires like devout muslims who are vampires and sort of have incorporated that into their mythos so i'd say you can if you want skip this entire section none of it is necessary to play the game but i wouldn't skip it just because you get a ton of backstory if you're new to world of darkness it explains a bunch about your place in it and if you used to play a vampire and now you're back it it totally brings you up to speed on where you are now yeah so let's talk about the world of darkness then so uh, what's the what's kind of the high concept of World of Darkness? Well, fortunately, the book goes straight into that. Uh, the first, I guess, what you might call chapter is just called concepts. So did you notice that the, like, there are no chapter numbers? Yeah, it was <laughs> super annoying. <laughs> uh, it talks about what is the World of Darkness, which is, you know, a, a world just like ours. You know, it, when the, in the 90s, when the game came out, it was the 90s. And now it is like 2015, 2018. The things that are happening in the world, um, we had a pope, and then he left really quickly, and now we have a new pope who's nicer. That happened in the world of darkness. Um, the Twin Towers were attacked on 9-11. A bunch of people died. That happened in the world of darkness. Uh, but the reasons behind those things, um, or like the the people who are causing a stock market crash, are different, because they're often some sort of monster or magician. So the world of darkness is known for its sort of gray approach to morality um, because ultimately you are playing an evil monster um, who is attempting not to be a terrible person, who is attempting to retain some level of their humanity. Yes, yeah, some level of it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a slow descent into damnation, right? Like that's the ultimate fate of every vampire, but um, it's about hanging on as long as you can. Yeah, it's interesting that world of darkness is very much like on the good end, you could be angel. Like, that's about as good a character as you could play in World of Darkness. Like, he's on the high end of, like, I do good things. But you can play, like, the quote-unquote evil vampires in Buffy in World of Darkness and still be the protagonist. Yeah, I mean, you're just likely to get staked by somebody who's not a protagonist. <laughs> uh, well, if if you're not careful. I'm... <laughs> no, you're going to get staked by the Camarilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you're, if you're, like, out and about? Yeah, if yeah. you break the masquerade. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> But you can be, like, inside your torture dungeon. Well, yes, you know, yes. And do all, like, the Queen of the Dam. I mean, don't kill, like, 400 people on a beach, but just, like, stay quiet, you know, uh, in the ground and, like, occasionally eat people and, like, no one's going to care. Right. So let's let's talk about the updated storyline. So the most important shift is that the Camarilla, which in prior editions was sort of the omnipresent um, enforcer of the masquerade, is rapidly losing power. Yeah, vampire society for hundreds of years has essentially been feudal um, because you think about it, they don't they don't die, right? So once you're in power, you stay in power and anyone who gets turned into a new vampire is sort of like 11 levels removed from the, the actual throne. They're just like way down and they're told to do things and they sort of have to do it. There's there's not much uh, ability for them to sort of break out, out of this uh, this hierarchy. Well, that's definitely changed here. Um, the Sabbat, which is the uh, sort of traditional uh, opponent of the Camarilla, which uh, d- doesn't want things organized in a hierarchical fashion, um, has sort of broken down into what's now called the the Anarch Movement. Uh, the Sabbat itself has largely been purged by the Inquisition. Or it's um, gone to the Middle East for Gehenna. Right. 
uh you know for the for the apocalypse yeah for the vampire apocalypse uh and a a very poorly organized uh group calling themselves the anarchs has arisen which basically just includes everyone who's not camarilla yeah basically it's vampires who think like oh i could rule screw you camarilla we run this city now and but that is pretty much how it is now um there's also introduced the concept of thin bloods and caitiffs uh, thin bloods are 14th generation and later so they are the uh the the most diluted bloodline of vampires they're um basically don't have clan traits but they are often less like susceptible to the various like you know curses of vampirism yeah they're like blade yeah exactly yeah, yeah. they're the most diluted vampires the most diluted vampires are Malkavians. right <laughs> well yeah or maybe or, true, or, like, or like any methuselah <laughs> uh and then there's the caitiffs who are the clanless um, either because their clan has been destroyed by the Inquisition or the fall of the Camarilla or um, has dissolved into, like, an Anarch subset or because they have, like, been exiled from their clan in an intact structure. Yeah, I love the it pointed out that you can be exiled for just not being similar enough to your clan. Like, we'll go through the clans later, but, like, Enosferatu, they're, like, hideous and ugly. Uh, and if you don't turn hideous and ugly after being turned by Enosferatu, they might be like, hmm... You're not really one of us. Like, yeah. you're just, like, too normal looking. Get out of here, pretty boy. And there are now opportunities for advancement. Uh, you can make a big play, uh, even for very young vampires, uh, neonates, as they're called, people who were turned in the last maybe decade, who normally would have to wait literally several hundred years to sort of burnish their credentials enough that anyone would trust them. Now you just go, you know, find a prince and shoot him in the head, assuming you can get through all their guards. Yeah, and I mean, even even then, like a lot of princes are just gone. They have left for Gehenna. Like they, the the vampire apocalypse is happening slowly, and it's claiming the oldest first. So a lot of those old vampires are just now gone, um, not through betrayal, but just through like the events of Gehenna. So there's opportunities. Um, of course, those opportunities are tampered by the existence of the Second Inquisition, which is what happens when vampires birthed the war on terror <laughs> uh, and then lost control of all the human organi- terror, anti-terror organizations that then discovered they exist. Yeah, this was my favorite part actually about the lore. Like the update, I thought this was so well done was, okay, 9-11 happened and vampires went, oh god, that must have been us. And then they were like, wait, nope, nope, that that wasn't us. Well, Crap, uh, we, we need to find our, our enemies who are attacking us by flying planes. Let's uh, sick the CIA and the NSA uh, and every other intelligence organization, because we you know we have our claws in them, uh, on the planet into looking into this. And then, of course, the, those organizations discovered that vampires existed, freaked out. The vampires figured out, oh, it was, it was really just like dudes who hijacked planes. Right. Because <laughs> I guess we're not the only game in town. Yep. Uh, yeah, and then... What do you do when the NSA is spying on you? You completely abandon the internet, all electronic forms of communication. Uh, you just don't do them anymore. So don't worry. That 90s aesthetic is still intact. <laughs> the life before cell phones yeah, still it's, works. It's very Matrix, right? Like you can get on a cell phone, but you need to like smash it with your foot as soon as you finish your like uh, 59 second phone call. Right. Um, I also like that we, and I don't know if this was previously a thing or if it was created for this edition but we did learn the source of the word camarilla 
It oh, comes wait, what from Camarilla, which was the Spanish Inquisition's little room from which they like organized the whole Inquisition. Ah, it is also uh, what Gomez calls Morticia Adams, of course, right? He's he's <laughs> Wait, des- is, desperate. That, is that an Adams family? Name? <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. That must be what he's saying. Nothing more. Camarilla. <laughs> okay. He's just saying, "Babe, you look like a vampire," and I dig it. <laughs> uh, then this little introduction section has an explanation of what RPGs are. It's fine, uh, and then it gets into an example of play. Uh, there's plenty of swearing and murder. I actually like the example of play though, because it like. It kind of framed this all for me of like how a game of vampire would actually go. Yeah, totally. It was nice that it was very ground level. Yeah, it's, exactly. It was like you wake up, you're hungry. What do you do? And, and it doesn't start off with like, okay, now like we're going to deal with the CIA. It's like there's a security guard and there's like fences and you're trying to figure out what's inside. What do you do? Yeah. Spoiler, they definitely murder the guard. They murder the guard and then... Uh, a vampire steps out of the darkness and is like, well, you did not have permission to do that. So I own this place. (laughs) Yeah. Politics. (laughs) Uh, The next section is broadly about kindred society. So it talks through uh, the Camarilla as well as some of the other different like organizations that exist. Yeah. It's, it goes relatively in depth on like what the Camarilla is, its history dating back to what, like the 14th century or something, mm-hmm. uh, its structure. And, you know, w- what is it that really makes lower level vampires beholden to the people uh, who are above them? You know, part of it is like this blood bond. Part of it is, is like loyalty from the person who made you a vampire in the first place. Uh, now, we are going to get uh, on release uh, an entire book for the Camarilla, an entire book for um, Anarchs. We haven't seen those. Um, I assume they're going to go uh, a lot more in depth. But this uh, main book still has a lot of information on both. The The most important thing it covers is the six traditions of the Camarilla. Um, the first being maintain the masquerade. Right. Don't let anyone know who you are. Then the concept of domain, which yeah. is sort of the feudal system. Um, progeny, which is the permission to create new vampires, because obviously vampires don't want to overpopulate or else they would run out of humans. It's Malthus. Malthus was a vampire. <laughs> right. I'm a Malthusian. Uh, then they have a tradition of accounting, which is just pedantic. And it's, also, uh, you know, it's, it's accounting, uh, drop grains of rice, right? I'm pretty sure accounting was birthed in like... Uh, in uh, Renaissance Italy, you <laughs> no, know, like, look, but whatever. <laughs> a- accounting is anyone that you control, any vampire below you that you are in charge of, you are responsible for anything that they do. Right. So they screw up, you screwed up. Yeah, but it goes into a dual entry accounting book. Ledger. That. Anyway. Yes. Nats. Uh, Knights Black Accountants. Right. <laughs> hey, that's a game for somebody somewhere. <laughs> Not here, though. Uh, then the uh, the fifth and sixth are hospitality, which are uh, which is the tradition of you know like welcoming vampires into your domain if they follow the appropriate um, like you know make announce themselves that sort of thing. Right, you ate the security guard without asking. I don't care about the security guard. Right, but it wasn't yours to eat. That's the thing. And of course, the last one is destruction, which is if you break these other rules, you get murdered. Like totally murdered like true death gone even if you're not playing a camarilla pc these are things that i I think every pc should at least be acquainted with uh, even if your um character is super new and doesn't know these things because these are the tenets by which you are judged in this game 
if you screw up like this, people are going to show up and try to kill you. So then there are a couple sidebars in the section about fashion and iconography because of course there are. <laughs> uh, and then it gets into the anarch movement, uh, sort of the splintered and leaderless group of anti-Camarillans. Yeah, it's a bit directionless right now, but it is powerful and growing. Of course, that's partly because the Camarilla has kicked out everybody who is a thin blood, a kaitiff, and anyone above 13th generation. So any of the like weaker-blooded vampires. Um, for those of you who don't know anything about this, uh, your a generation is the number of generations you are away from the first vampire, who is Cain from the Bible, the first murderer. Right. This is an update to the setting. Um, you know, it's it's advancing it, which means that anyone who is playing old games, uh, a vampire sort of has to deal with the consequences of what has happened over the last like 15 to 20 years in the game. But it's nice that you can be like, all right, my clan doesn't really exist anymore or I've been chased out or whatever. I'm not in the Camarilla. I can still deal with that. And that, that gives me a reason that I uh, am even out here like, trying to survive whereas you know maybe previously in in our old game i was sitting pretty you know but now the prince is gone Uh uh-oh and then finally we get a glossary which is super helpful for me having never read a world of darkness book uh cover to cover and and frankly only ever played hunter uh i finally got to learn what all these words mean that i keep seeing capitalized hey and you know if you want to play a game like this it's like firefly you want to get the lexicon down you want to do it right yeah All right, then we get a description of the clans. Uh, Seven of them are defined. For each of them, you'll get a short description of their main philosophy, uh, different types of archetypes of the kind of person who would be in the clan. And then you get eight images, always four female and then four male, which I don't know, in this kind of book, it just feels like you'd have some option for like androgynous people, but it's always four women, four men. I, that seems like a nit to pick. <laughs> like it, I mean, overall the book has pretty good representation, um, and it's a mix of like photographs and artwork. So like sometimes in the same image. Well, annoyingly, yeah, I, it's not good. I'm just saying it's diverse. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk more about the art later. Um, and then it lists three disciplines. When you're building your character, disciplines are, uh, I don't know, the equivalent of spells, kind of, sort of. Yeah, I don't, they're like, it's almost like subclasses. Yeah, va- they're vampire abilities that normal people wouldn't be able to do. Um, and it lists the ones that your clan is particularly good at. It also lists your bane, which is the like thing that afflicts your clan. Um, you know, they vary from like the, the Brugia have a very difficult time not like raging out and murdering everybody in the room. And the Nosferatu are hideously, ug- hideously ugly. And the Ventru are really picky about what they eat. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's talk through the clans briefly that are in the book. So it starts uh, alphabetically with the Brugia. Yeah, they're revolutionaries. Although they call themselves revolutionaries but like i guess they're changing the system from within because like they're still in the camarilla like yeah, they're, they're not anarchs they were like revolutionaries as mortals but like now they're like kind of sitting pretty so not so much yeah it's like a i guess it's like a noblesse oblige for some of them they're like oh we will change what we can because now we have the power to change those things yeah and i think we should mention that there's been some talk about uh, some of the Bruja characterizations have included certain kinds of revolutionaries like white supremacists 
Um, there's even a specific ar- archetype called the blood worshiper who, you know, is really into like thinking that their particular blood is better than every like, other type of blood. Bruges before others. Yeah. Um, I, th- I don't see anything in this book that is sort of elevating um, like white supremacy. I can see the argument for, you know, maybe having not having it in the PC section necessarily. Like it's certainly there. I don't see why there wouldn't be like white supremacists who got turned into vampires. And now they're like still being giant assholes. Cause like it didn't, it didn't change their mind about like who they are. Right. Uh, but you know, maybe have them in like a, an NPC section where like, these are the people you might be murdering. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, it's fine to murder those people in game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're vampires anyway. They're vampires. <laughs> like, <laughs> Gotta die sometime. Uh, then there's the Gangrel, who are the sort of the most bestial of the vampires. They're shapeshifters, and they like to live very close to the land. Yes, yeah, so their whole concept is that they sort of embrace and master the beast, which is um, what vampires think of as like the hunger to uh, drink blood. So you know they're not werewolves yeah they're they're not hyphen werewolves right because <laughs> there are actual werewolves too right uh the malkavians you may remember these if you've ever played this game um are sometimes the most annoying people to have in your party because they're insane every single one's insane yeah but a occasionally they have lucid visions which are of use so they're kind of seers to the camarilla uh the nosferatu are hideous information brokers. Um, when they become vampires, they undergo uh, a physical change that's much more pronounced than any other vampires. They, you know, may develop cancerous growths or, you know, become like the traditional gross vampire from the movies, like a very long nose and bat ears mm-hmm. and, and like giant saucer-like eyes. But they're not ashamed of it, which I thought was interesting. Like, yeah, I like that they, they really embrace it. They're like, yeah, we really look like what we we all are on the inside right then there are the toreadors which are the (laughs) the, uh the divas who are sort of uh entranced by beauty and art and fashion and um they're the foppish clan that's really all it is yeah their their bane is uh sometimes they're just so enthralled by beauty that they can't look away and then someone can stab in the heart which I want to stab myself in the heart when I was reading that section. <laughs> but on to the Tremere, the wizards who use their blood to fuel spells. Yeah, it turns out the progenitor of the clan was a wizard, wanted to live forever, found vampirism, became a vampire, and then went, oh, crap, I can't cast spells anymore. <laughs> I've made a big mistake. <laughs> However, with stolen blood, you can still cast spells. Right. Fortunately, you've got a great way to get that blood. Mm-hmm. There's the Ventru. You see, you you don't like the Toreador. I don't like the Ventru. Because I'm like, you are terrible at being in charge. Because the Ventru believe that they are they are the highest, most noble of the vampire clans. And that they should be in charge. And, you know, they, they do have most of the high-ranking positions in the Camarilla. Which goes to show that they're not good at this. I guess. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to do a full accounting of who's Look, responsible for the fall of the Camarilla. They screwed all this up. Can you tell that? Wasn't it a Nosferatu, uh, like, probably under orders that got hacked? Under orders from a Ventrue, probably. <laughs> okay. Is, is yeah, obviously, what was going on. Of course. Why, why you got to blame the Nosferatu? I don't know why I'm Ventrue truthering. 
anyway, the Ventra are like your, uh, you know, your CEOs and your uh, 18th century aristocracy. There's and a lot of cravats going on in the art. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're um, they're the ones most likely to be wearing ruffles. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Those are 300 year old ruffles. You respect <laughs> those ruffles. Are you a pirate? <laughs> I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> I'm a Ventru. <laughs> Um, so then there's the, you said Kaitif, I said Kaitif, I don't care, they're the clanless ones. Let's call ones. the whole thing off. <laughs> uh, they're the clanless ones, they're, uh, they're they're basically the jack of all trades, uh, because they don't get like a natural ability as a clan, so they, they pay a little bit more for all of their disciplines, but they don't have the severe drawback. Then you have the thin bloods. There are a lot of rules for thin bloods in, in this book, and I, I thought that was interesting. I, I, I feel like I feel like they kind of want you to play thin bloods. Kind of a little bit. Like, right? They want you to just, like, play a thin blood, diablery somebody, and, like... <laughs> like, that should be your goal. Move up a generation. <laughs> uh, so it's not tied specifically to a generation anymore. Like, in the old books, I think you had to be 15th generation to actually be, like... Like, you're basically a half vampire. Um, like you can still tolerate sunlight a little bit. Um, you can still eat food, um, but you still are immortal. So I really like who wouldn't want to be thin blood. You can't make new vampires though. Uh, and uh, in the mechanics of the game, you take damage like a human would, you know, so if you get stabbed, it does a lot of damage to you, but you heal like a vampire. Yep. And you're not immune to sunlight, but you are resistant to it. So, Remember, there used to be 13 of these clans, which is a lot for a book. So I understand why they paired some back. Um, the 13 clans still exist, uh, but they're not all in this book. And in the fiction, they, they a lot of them are sort of, they sort of went underground. La Sombra and, ooh, how do you say this one? Zimiske? They basically joined the Sabbat. Jimish. Jimish. That's Zimish. how I'm saying it. I, I don't have to play this game, so I'm going with Jimish. Let's just keep saying it differently. It's a T-Z-I-M-I-S-C-E. You do your best. Boom. Giovanni and Ravnos are almost extinct, uh, taken out by the Second Inquisition, and any remaining members are currently in hiding. And then the Banu Hakim and the Setite Ministry are stuck fighting in the Middle East. Uh, and like wherever else Gehenna is happening. Yeah, like they're, they're in this whole Gehenna thing. Just chilling. So... Those six clans, not really part of the main storyline, but your vampire of these clans certainly can be. Not yet part of the main storyline. Oh, Obviously, fair. room for expansion of the line. Come it's coming. On. Um, then we get into the rules section. This so, is like the first time we get like really any rules. Yeah, other than the Banes, which were right. like... Kind of kind of out of place because it was like, here's some rules. You don't know what any of these words mean, but you'll get to them. Right. It was like, here's backstory on, on your clan. Uh, and then it listed disciplines, right? But it only listed flavor text for the disciplines and like why you might use them. Right. But not any info. And then the Bane just suddenly was sort of glaring at you like, one extra hunger die. But hey, check page 170. You'll yeah. explain what that means. So now we get rules. And it starts off with time because time works a little bit differently in Vampire than it than does in something like Dungeons and Dragons. Because actions are broken down into turns, which is how long it takes to do a particular action. But that might be search an entire room. It also might be shoot a gun. Uh, obviously, like in real life, those take very different amounts of time. But in Vampire, you, you just sort of fudge it. Right. And then the rest of the time scale is like 
the writing stuff that we already kind of incorporate into a lot of games. So scene, session, story, story being like what we usually on the podcast call an arc. Mm -hmm. And then chronicle is like a campaign. Right. Uh, You get things like, uh, what is it? The SPC instead of NPC? Uh, Storyteller player character. Right. A storyteller played character. Yes. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that Ken is carrying on that tradition that, like, I know that's one of the things that really sticks in Robin Law's Craw, is that, like, you don't define something by what it's not. You define by what it is. So he uses, like, GMPC or whatever instead of NPC. I'm um, okay. I mean, remember non-weapon proficiencies? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, anything can be a weapon if you try hard enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, then it explains, like, tests, which are... Um, exactly what they were previously, except they're resolved by a slightly different dice mechanic. As you used to in World of Darkness, you would take your attribute and your skill, uh, add up the dots, build your dice pool of D10s. Um, but what's new is that you automatically succeed on any roll of a six or higher. Uh, and then you set a difficulty um, for how many successes you need to be, you know, succeed on the test. Yeah, so it'll, like one success will be something that's routine. That's hitting someone who's not moving at all. And it scales all the way up to a near impossible task, which you'll need uh, seven successes. Obviously, if you don't have enough dice to even get there, you're not going to succeed. I do like how this rolling system has several things built in uh, that specifically make it move more quickly or make it less uh, crunchy and granular for groups that really want to focus a lot more on story. Uh, you auto succeed if your pool is twice the difficulty. Basically, if you have you know a fifty percent chance of succeeding or better, you just do it. Mm-hmm. Move on. Yep. Um, criticals are also simpler. Uh, every pair of ten counts as double. So two zeros on your dice gives you four successes. Uh, three gives you five, and four give you eight. Uh, you also calculate your margin. That's basically your degrees of success. You know, if you if the difficulty was three and you got five successes, your margin was two. And that will sometimes um, give you additional benefits on the test. I really like that you can win at a cost. Yeah, so that means that you have a success, but not enough to succeed, like not enough to hit your difficulty number. Yeah, so uh, the GM can say, well... Do you still want to succeed anyway? It'll cost you though, and then provides you uh, something that you might need to give up, or something you destroy, or you know you tip your hand in some way, or an enemy gains an advantage, or something. But you can still do the thing you were trying to do, and that is that's a fun press your luck mechanic, which I love. Pressing my luck is like what I want to do in games. Um, it is not the only press your luck mechanic in this game, though. Like, should we talk about hunger? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> so. So hunger is a stat um, that has its own like you know rating track from one to five or from zero to five I guess, um, and as you get more hungry for blood, you start to replace dice in your dice pool, and what happens with hunger dice is that when they are uh, when you roll a ten on a hunger die, and you have a critical success, you end up with. Was it a messy critical? Messy critical. A messy yeah. critical. Which, which is exactly what it sounds like. The beast gives you the critical, not the human side of you. So whatever it was, something bad happens as a result. Or, b- or, or bad, uh, bad-ish, right? Uh, something some, loud. Something. Yeah, exactly. Something bigger than you ex- than you would have intended. On the flip side, if you have hunger dice that come up as a one and you fail, then you've 
experienced a bestial failure, which is the beast is the reason that you failed. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that means that you eat a guy. Mm-hmm. In broad daylight. Mm-hmm. That's a bad thing for the masquerade. It is not a good thing. Well, it'd be weird for you to be doing it in broad daylight, though. Broad nightlife? In the middle yes. of a crowded club. There you go. <laughs> yeah, being out in the daylight. Bad for the, bad for the masquerade. Green. <laughs> Bursting into flame and turning to dust. Right. Bad for the masquerade. Um, but messy critical is the same thing. Bad for the masquerade. I like that no matter which way the dice roll, your hunger causes problems for you. Right. And But that's a, that's a linear scale of hunger, right? So you always roll between zero and five hunger dice uh, up to the dice pool. Um, but unlike prior editions, you don't get worse at doing things by adding more dice. To, you don't get more likely to crit fail by adding dice to your pool, which is super helpful. Right. This is like one of our issues with um, any kind of like crit fail mechanic. You know, usually it's, the, the more skilled you are at something, the more dice you roll. But if any time a one is coming up in any of those dice, uh, something very bad happens, then it just means that the better you are at something, the more likely you are to trip over your own feet and stab yourself in the neck. Right. Which is not fun. Um, I like how this uh, very much mitigates that because the hunger dice, like you said, don't scale based on how good you are at something. So continuing with this theme of failure, uh, there's also a concept of total failure, which is when you roll no successes um, at all on your pool. And then it's up to the storyteller to determine what that means, though it doesn't have to mean anything. Uh, you can have teamwork. It just means the largest pool gets a bonus die per uh, person with training who's helping you. And then an important thing, uh, again, going back to those press your luck mechanics, is the health and willpower tracks. You are... Uh, they, they work the same way as they did in prior editions, but you can spend your willpower to re-roll dice in your pool. Uh, you can't re-roll hunger dice, but you can re-roll, for example, if you have a crit in your hunger dice, you can re-roll a crit in a non-hunger dice to avoid getting a uh, a bloody success. Yeah, or if you have one 10 and you want to shoot for another 10, then you can re-roll up to three dice. It's a nice little bit of uh, tactics when trying to get the, the right number and kind of successes right so what makes vampire and i think world of darkness as a whole kind of a cool system is that combat is not really any different from any other test like it is truly just a perfectly conserved mechanic so when you engage in combat you're making tests just like anything else yeah and the skills that you're using are fluid based on what's happening so if you're shooting somebody that might be a composure plus firearms test versus their dexterity plus athletics if you're trying to socially undermine somebody it might be something like composure plus uh sutterfuge versus their appropriate attribute and skill yeah they're... there's like four pages of like if you're trying to do this, here's what it might be. And yeah, here's what it might be. There's a lot of examples. Uh, and when you have the list in front of you, it's, it's kind of easy to just like pick a pair that makes sense. But yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, usually it's like tied to the fiction, right? So if you are barehanded because you're a vampire and you have claws and you are fighting against someone who has a knife, uh, it might be you use strength plus brawl and they're using dex, versus me uh, dex plus melee. Um, and then there's two initiative systems that are presented. The default one basically just like has an order of what type of action you're doing to resolve. So if you're engaged in close combat, you go first. If you're making a ranged attack, you go second. And then uh, if you're trying to engage in a new close combat, you go third. And then everything else happens last. 
Um, there's a alternative initiative if you prefer a more traditional rolling system, but um, I don't know. You got to get to the back of the book for that. And I my probably my favorite part about the combat system is that it merges the attack and defend actions from both the attacker and the defender. Usually in, in a game, it's like, okay, I attack you with my sword. Did I hit you? Okay, you do or do not take some damage. Now you attack me with your sword, and do I take damage or not? In this case, um, you make those two opposed rolls at the same time, and whoever wins deals damage to the other one. I think that's much more elegant. Um, it doesn't always work. Like, if you are shooting someone, obviously there's no opportunity for them to do damage back unless you're in a gunfight. Mm-hmm. So the damage system is not significantly different from what it was priorly. You still have superficial and aggravated. They work basically the same. Um, but there is a concept introduced in here that I think is super good for a game that is not just a combat game, uh, which is called three turns and out. And if you go three rounds and you're still fighting, stop fighting. Somebody pieces out. <laughs> like It's just taking you too long now. Something, some outside entity is going to become involved like whatever it is or one side is losing they should run away it just the combat is done right or hey you win you kill the rest of them right except that there is a note uh which i think is very wise which is if your group is enjoying it then don't run away <laughs> like just keep going <laughs> but the moment you stop enjoying combat uh just bail out of it done all right next section is on character creation i like that it says basically you have to have a session zero yep and it calls it a session zero. It doesn't give it a funny name. It's, it's a very <laughs> RPG term to just be like very clear, do this thing. And in session zero, one of the first things you're doing is building a relationship map. We've actually done that before. I think uh, Jim did it in his Dark Heresy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is literally like everybody pick your names and how did you become a vampire? And like, what clan are you? All right, we're writing them all on and we're drawing a bunch of arrows to symbolize who knows whom and who owes whom a favor and who likes whom, etc. Yep. Um, then you start picking archetypes. Um, there's, there's a handful of decisions that you need to make, but you're always picking kind of packages of stuff. You get attributes, you get skill spreads, um, disciplines, flaws, all that type of stuff. Um, the way that you are a predator, which is a pretty entertaining list of <laughs> approaches to feeding. Yeah, and then you're picking your generation, which is basically like, how old are you? Are you like 400 years old, which is about as old as you can be in this book? Or are you like 15 years since you got turned? And you basically just pay XP to be older. Mm-hmm. Uh, briefly, the core traits, uh, there are nine attributes and 27 skills. Yep. Uh, those are That's why there's so many freaking combinations that's, for that's, different kinds of rolls you can make. Right. Um, and each of those goes from one dot to five dots, five being amazing and superhuman and one being your hot garbage. Oh, right. So that'll be familiar to uh, former World of Darkness players. <laughs> Always being terrible at everything. I mean, it does mean that you don't have enough dots to go into a lot of things. So there, you should stick to your specialties early on. Um, yeah, I didn't actually min-max the XP system, so I don't know if it's better to specialize or go broad, but I suspect it's better to actually go broad. Uh, anyway, you get more dots if you go, like, less specialized. But even the, even the less specialized, even the jack-of-all-trades, um, still has nowhere near half the skills. Um, so then there's actually a lot of focus that gets spent on who you were before you were a vampire, Mm -hmm. um, sort of, like, what your humanity is based in. Um, so it, it talks about like, what was your job? How did you die? What was your family like? Um, you know, what are the, like, and this feeds into your skill set, right? Like whatever your job was gives you a few skills. 
um, and also kind of defines that personality for your character. Yeah, I really like how in character creation, a full, I think, half of character creation is figuring out how you feel about things rather than just a number of, of dots on on the sheet because you need to come up with your convictions. Like, what are your sincerely held beliefs? And these come into play. It's not just like 5th um, edition D&D's like bonds and flaws. Like, if you do something that goes against one of your convictions, like, you start to lose humanity. The beast starts to take over. You'll also pick things like uh, your touchstones, which is like some mortal who's still alive, which is like so nice black agents. Mm-hmm. It's like totally your solace. Yeah. <laughs> like It's also like that thing that the GM is going to target. <laughs> it's great. Um, this is a merits and flaws system. You are going to pick at least a few merits. You're going to get some flaws. Um, and these are, you know, broken down into merits, which are personal things like abilities backgrounds which are more external and then lore sheets which are your contacts or your covers like uh, different identities if you're 300 years old and right. you've got to you know have a different face in every city from there you build your coterie i love that you do this um because like we love this aspect from uh blades in the dark where you're building your gang uh, and your coterie has like uh has abilities like everyone gets one dot sometimes two dots if you're in a small group to put in the coterie's abilities and, and you get small abilities that you as a group are are better at doing because like that's what you're tasked with doing right and as part of that you get a domain which is like what is the purpose of your coterie like what is it that you do here for whatever organization you work for Uh, and then you also get a mission which is like you know what are you currently tasked with yeah, there's a with a fang squad, which is like oh, we're fang gang, fang, fang gang. gang. Yeah, we're like we're like a, a gang. We're a bunch of gangers. We're, we're criminals. Yeah, in <laughs> but, alleyways, and we but, eat homeless people. But with fangs, yeah. Right. Or like you know, we guard the prince. Right. There are options for any kind of game you want to play. Yeah, I I just really like the idea of the vampire adventurer. <laughs> no man, I just like digging up tombs. I mean, everybody. <laughs> That's my lo- deal. Everybody loves those, right? Like, uh, I don't think there's been an addition to D anD D where you can't play a vampire. Right. <laughs> there's some interesting information on like what is hunger, what do hunger hunger dice represent, and then feeding. I actually really like this like bit of like nitty gritty lore about like. What is it that you can feed on? Like, how much blood is in a cow? And, like, how much hunger does that slake if you drain a cow versus, like, you know, a rabbit? Right. Speaking of blood, uh, it also talks about blood potency, which is basically just, like, um, the strength of your bloodline, largely based on your generation. Yeah, and while it does increase your power straight up, like, you just get extra dice to do things, the more potent your blood is, it also means that you're more picky about the kinds of things you can eat. Like, if you're blood potency is too high you can actually only feed on other vampires yeah whoops uh, and then your banes get super strong like wow that nosferatu is super ugly right uh then the book talks about the dangers of frenzying so what what happens is if you don't manage your hunger then you end up making tests to resist frenzy uh and if you fail those tests bad things happen people you like die People you don't like die, but it's messy. Right. <laughs> and then there's a section that I can basically only call flavors of blood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a totally just like indulgent section on like, how do vampires feel about different things to eat in your bloodstream? 
I mean, I love it, right? Like, it, it breaks it down by the, the, yeah, the you four would. traditional humors. You absolutely would. <laughs> it is it is a subsystem that can be ignored if you want. However, it, it also sort of breaks down each of the like vampire disciplines by what kind of blood best fuels it, right? Because remember, vampires are using this blood to, like, f- fuel their superhuman abilities. So, like, if you um, want uh, to, you know produce a, a feat of strength it's helpful to have choleric blood in you or to have fed off a person with choleric blood mm-hmm. you also get in a situation where like uh vampires can get addicted to the drugs that certain people are on i, I love that like the glossary is mostly just terms for vampires who have preferences for certain drugs <laughs> that they feed on like you're a meth head man Wait, is that is that in the gloss? Is that meth head in the glossary? A meth head is is a vampire who feeds on meth users. That's perfect. A lush is somebody who uh, prefers alcoholics. I mean, who doesn't? I, well, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's th- it's it goes down so easy, it's so smooth because it's very thin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't clot. <laughs> I love that you get rules for things like diablery. If you want to do that, you want to eat another vampire and like consume their soul and increase your or I guess decrease your generation. Yeah, you can do that. There's like six tests. Right. Then we've got a, essentially what is the grimoire, right? In in most RPGs, like right around three quarters of the way through the book, it's, hey, here are all the spells. Yeah, and 40 a, pages of spells. Right. <laughs> and that's basically what this is. You get all the disciplines. Uh, what are they, like eight-ish, nine-ish disciplines, something like that. Uh, and each of them has different abilities uh, between levels one and five each time you get a dot in a discipline you can pick one of these abilities up to the level of the dot right so again it's a little more tactical it's a little more interesting and it really helps you sort of define the kinds of abilities that uh, your particular vampire has so like two vampires who both have four dots in like animalism can still manifest that ability in extremely different ways one person might like be very good at talking to animals or have a familiar or inhabit like uh, trade spirits with their familiar and another person might just like control them and send like ravening packs of dogs at people yeah and these disciplines are really where you gain your uniqueness as a character um like this is what's going to differentiate two vampires from the same clan um or even two vampires from the same clan focused in the same discipline are sort of like which of these actual characteristics are you taking and it sort of finally creates your monster yeah and just like i mean there's no levels in this game but you just have amounts of xp um it is very much like those classless systems where you become much more differentiated the more abilities that you're able to pick so by the time you can actually spend a little bit of xp then you really feel like you're like you're so different from everyone else it is one thing I like I I don't like that it seems like it's extremely slow to level up here. Like you get 1 XP per session. And if you really want to like level up quickly, then it's like 2 XP per session. Yeah. But you need like 15 XP to do anything. Yeah, I mean I feel like that's a thing that's easily tailored to your home group, so 9 I'm... XP per session. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a rogue traderly amount of XP, which is somewhere between a hundred per session and shut up. <laughs> You'll level just, up when I tell you. You have thirteen thousand, just go. Yeah. <laughs> um so the rest of the book is basically like appendices. Um it is there there is a, a set of advanced rules um that just basically provide 
more subsystems that you can interact with. I think the one that stands out in there that is uh is like is probably a really good inclusion, especially given that it's vampire, is the one role conflicts rules. Mm-hmm. Um, it to me, I read it and I was like, oh yeah, of course, because vampire is for LARPing, right? Like a big part of the vampire community is LARP, so you wouldn't want to be rolling lots of dice at a time. You would just want to do one roll. Um, so I think that that kind of makes some sense. Um, the rest of it is is all like. Uh, storyteller material so different tools to use as the gm uh, in order to help craft your game right it's it's you adjusting the different dials like there's an advanced physical combat section where you get things like surprise attacks and different ways of close combat and grappling there's grappling rules right um for the most part uh, you can ignore these it's it's exactly where it should be which is like cool if i think this is going to come up i'll look it up and see if i want to use it and otherwise i'm gonna save reading 50 pages (laughs) Yeah, or like if you're the storyteller, then I would probably like, you know, talk to your players. You're having a session zero, see what they're interested in. And if there is something in here that fits with them, like, you know, there's a section on like kindred intimacy, like how do vampires like get it on or do they or like, is it similar but not exactly the same thing? You can like just photocopy that and give it as a handout. Right. So let's talk about uh, sort of the overall book because we talked about what's in it. So some general impressions uh art it's a for me it's a mixed bag okay uh there are some pieces that i find very evocative i mean there's there's a lot of art in this book far more than like most rpgs yes i will say they're high on volume (laughs) i think there's probably the same amount of very good art that there is in most rpg books (laughs) which is to say they have a low hit rate First of all, the art is a is a combination of like painted art, line art, and either photographs or photographs with some like Photo, Photoshop, Photoshop on top, of, on it, top yeah. of it. Yeah, like it, it's a it's a hodgepodge of what this how the art direction is actually handled, um, which is not something that I normally pay attention to in games. Except that as I was going through this, I was like, I have lost all sense of what's going on in this book like the art is no longer like reinforcing what i'm reading it's now confusing me yeah it jumps back and forth like what did we just review um xanathar's guide to everything yeah uh a D book one of our complaints was that like the halfling and gnome chapter like the art just didn't fit with the rest of the, it didn't fit with the style of the rest of the book right um, and it, it was sort of glaring, but at least it was contained to one place. Whereas in this book, you'll get like one, an, inter- an interesting piece of art um, that is sort of like in a Queen of the Damned and Rice kind of style. Uh, and then on the, the next or facing page, it'll be like a Photoshop layer of, of blood over like stock photography. Right. And the next one's like an abstract painting. And then the, the next one's like digital surrealism. And the next one's like an image from Splinter Cell. Because like it's like the NSA with guns. <laughs> right. Like uh there's a full page, I don't know, surrealist photograph of like two hands clutching various office building towers, uh, including the mid explosion twin towers, apropos of nothing. Uh I, I just 
it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and, and not least, and full disclosure, right? Like, we got a review copy of it, which was a low-res PDF. So we're not looking at it in a printed book form. But I will tell you that just, like, from an art and layout perspective, this was a very confusing book to read, especially, like, the front-loaded chapters on lore that are, like, the ones that are supposed to pull you into the game. Like, there's just... <sighs> weird layout choices like a lot of margin a lot of wasted space a lot of like weird little like two page inserts that are total asides from whatever you were reading and like the core text it's it's just all very confusing it does seem like this is the kind of book of any book that should be entirely full bleed so oh because full bleed is a publishing term uh yes, up to, up to the edge of the page. I got you. Okay. Um, but yeah, you get a lot of like inset art. I mean, I will say like there is there is a lot of art in here where I'm like, this is really good. Actually, I think it's really cool. Why is it this size? Like, why is it a third of a page when you obviously have no problem having like two facing pages being one image? Right. Like this totally could be like there's a there's a pretty sick werewolf on three seventy six that's just like literally ripping a dude apart that would be way cooler bigger but it's also it has a sidebar on it as well covering half the image Mm -hmm. they also like vacillate between a three column structure and a two column structure which seems like a really nitpicky thing to complain about and i know this is incredibly pedantic but as somebody who has no background in page layout who has to read this book on a timeline (laughs) like I got very confused. I thought I had missed pages. Like I, at times I had to like skip ahead to double check to make sure that I hadn't missed something. Like there's just weird spots of, of white space um, where it seems like maybe the PDF had screwed up. Like uh, it's, it's, it's weird. It's a a weird layout. There are, there are times when it, it switches from two column to three column in the same page, in the page, in in the exact page. Like Mm. the, the sidebar will be two columns <laughs> like there's a blank spot at the top <laughs> and then there's like two thin columns two-thirds of the page are actual text it, it's so bizarre um and like it sucks because the writing overall i felt like was really good like i was you know i mean it's vampire so like expect vampire style but like it was also Ken Height, right? So, like, it has this very cool historical grounding and rooting and, like, um, this, you know, like, it was clearly written by somebody with an eye for history rather than an eye for, like, um, edginess for the sake of edginess, right? Well, well, there are, I felt like there were two voices <laughs> okay. speaking at me in this book. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> like, there is the voice telling you the rules and the lore for the most part which is spot on i mean uh i i get very nitpicky about um spelling errors syntax layout errors and things like that and i actually i didn't see any spelling errors i think this might be the first book we've ever reviewed where i've been like i didn't see any spelling errors. i, I did catch one and i uh, lost it but i felt like an Asian when i did i was like, <laughs> You're like oh, there it is. i was on the train this morning and i was like oh i did it i finally saw one um but the other voice is the typical 1990s vampire voice it's like speaking at you it's monologuing at you Mm-hmm. in the first person 
basically saying, you don't understand me. Don't pretend like you understand me. Here's what you need to know about me. And then it's just, it's, it's very purple in the way that it speaks to you. Like, um, you know, in the clan section, uh, some of the clans have like a an in-character um, bit where I guess one of the members of the clan is sort of speaking to you. You know, so look at Gangrel is like, we're more than just a more than just glorified bikers, but I accept the analogy. We don't put down roots. We take initiation into our group seriously and we accept no masters. Your grandsire, he or she knelt before some blue blood and learned to take it like a bitch. You, if you kneel, I'll kill you myself. Like <laughs> I, I do remember that paragraph when I read it. Yeah. The that's all the in character stuff in this book. Right. <laughs> um but not the not the examples of play, thank goodness. At all, yeah. Like, um yeah, so there you're right. There is kind of the uh the monster within this book in italics. <laughs> now, that said, um this is vampire, right? Like if you open this book and you're playing this game, you know what you're in for. Come on. Yeah. Like this is you're playing this because you want to be that you want to be that person <laughs> yeah it, it, i will say like and this is uh take it as intended right like it does not abandon its roots as peak 90s vampire right like it is it is definitely vampire in the modern age but it has not forgotten that it is about katanas and trench coats and edginess and brooding and like you know my chemical romance like it it is it is not pretending that it is something more elevated than that right like if you want elevated vampires you play like knight's black agents if you want brooding vampires you play vampire yeah there are brooding mechanics right built into the game (laughs) and like if that's what you want this is this is the game to do it you know um it's one of the things that was really nice about world of darkness back in the day is like at least i felt like it didn't really take itself that seriously you know like i guess some versions depending on the writer you'd be like oh you you kind of believe this don't you whereas like for most versions it was like yeah we know that we're flipping our our hair back over one ear because i'm just too cool to deal with you right now because we're playing a role-playing game we're like we're basically theater kids um (laughs) But the, like you get into the character of it, right? Like yeah. that's the point of it, right? All right. So all of that given, all of that taken into account, um, I guess first off, Shane, would you play this game? Uh, I just fundamentally don't want to. I this is about as compelling of a pitch for vampire as I've ever had, mm-hmm. and I still just don't feel like I need to play the vampire. Like, <laughs> I'm still preferring to play Jason Bourne fighting the vampire than I am preferring to play the vampire. So, I struggle with that. Would you play this? Alright, I'm gonna give you two scenarios in which I would play this game. Okay. Okay, one is, if it is in a tie-in campaign with a Knights Black Agents campaign, that we get to play both sides of. Okay. Okay. So, All right. I'm, shut up. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more, fam. <laughs> the other would be, I mean, the dramatic irony would be amazing. Okay. The other would be if they come out with other World of Darkness products that are not vampire, because I, I think I'd be more interested in playing something like Werewolf. Yeah. Werewolf or Hunter. I, I mean, I think both of them are very, like, are both cool approaches to be on the periphery of vampire. Because I think vampire is still like, a good source for villains. <laughs> I just don't want to be the villain. Mage, I think, would be cool. You know, because I think you might be, but I'm drawn to Tremere, just, you know, using magic and things like that. 
I would definitely play a, a game based on this chassis. I would play these rules. Yeah, I totally. would definitely play these rules. Mm-hmm. There's the the rules were good. I'm happy with those. Um, and, and weirdly, like I love the like pre-apocalyptic Christian mythos. Like I'm super into that. I just prefer to read it rather than live it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, but so for people who would play this game, people who are interested in it, should they be buying this book and putting it on their shelves? Okay, so so two things. Mm-hmm. One is like I don't think we can do a review without talking about the conversation around this game and how like White Wolf has maybe inserted some dog whistles for neo-Nazis. Okay, which ones? Well, so there's the bit with the Bruja. Um, mm-hmm. There's the 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 bit i i mean they're we mentioned it right like mentioning that they recruit from neo-nazis and and you know claiming to be the alt-right mm-hmm. so the triggered ability for i think the bruja that was previewed that kind of created a kerfluffle on the internet and then like their white wolf has continued to hire zach smith and like all of the things that are associated with him and just you know the fact that it's never a good look when your company has to do a live stream in which you have to insist that you are not marketing your game to neo-nazis like that's a red flag right (laughs) like you got to defend yourself i get but like it has to get to a certain fever pitch of of like smoke before fire uh to even have to have that conversation right so I, i do think you should be aware of that conversation happening and make a choice for yourself I mean, you don't get any credit for disavowing neo-Nazis in the alt-right. You get zero credit for that because that is the normal baseline. Right. Yeah. But but when you're being accused of catering to them, like, you know, saying no is a good start. I mean, he was it was on the live stream and someone asked. So, yes, he said he said no while on the live stream. Good. Um, as far as we can tell, we're not 100% sure, but I don't believe that the triggered ability appears in the final print version at least i can't find it not not in the copy that we have which um we got a access to before that stuff went live online but this is fully laid out so there wouldn't have been like a place to insert it unless they swapped one out right yeah so i don't i don't think it got subbed out post facto like i, I just don't think it was in this book i don't actually know where it would be it could be in the camarilla book uh, true yeah so i guess we'll see we don't have access to that so we'll be keeping an eye on that um so anyway so like if you can square yourself with all of that stuff and, and what I will say is that like reading through this book, I did not feel like it was secretly catering to not to neo-Nazis though. I would not be one who would recognize something that was catering to neo-Nazis, especially like in that dog whistle sort of way. I didn't see like a 1488 thing. I thought I'd heard about that, but I didn't, I didn't notice it. I was looking for that example Mm -hmm. and I didn't find that either. Um, So I don't know if that was all just content that was created for the internet. Um, I don't know. Also, like I had to learn what 1488 meant. So I'm just definitely not the person to evaluate this stuff. Um, Yeah. The only thing that sort of stuck out to me was like, eh, have neo-Nazis be non-player characters, you know, shoot the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think they're they make like, them taste bad. I don't think they're advert. Yeah, there you go. See that there it is. It's, it's that blood hate just infects. Um, but yeah, I you know, I mean, I don't think it's like particularly encouraging it or glorifying it. Um, so I don't know. I it, it wouldn't stop me from buying it, though. You know, you kind of have to make your own choice. If you are going to, if you're looking to play vampire, if you're currently a vampire player, 
I, I think you should buy this book. I think this is definitely a better set of rules um, and a very compelling advancement of the setting. Yeah, if you're already playing Vampire, do your lord switch to these rules. Yeah. You will be happier. Your players will be happier. Just do it. And also, like, I really like the update of the setting, bringing it to, like, truly modern day. Um, I mean, maybe they'll do it again in 15 more years. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe in 15 years, we'll, our robot overlords will be waging war against the vampires. <laughs> or, you know, we'll be rebuilding the first city again because right. <laughs> Kim Jong-il nuked everything yay i'm pretty sure elon musk is to blame for something bad that's coming i'm just not sure what <laughs> we'll all be hiding in his submersibles it's fine <laughs> perfect all right so that's a that's a a double buy for the vampire player uh a long hard look if you aren't currently playing vampire is that right yeah i think that's fair all right so let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us we do love hearing from you and i think they're might be a lot for you to talk to us about this time. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And now that this book is off of its uh, off of its like review embargo, I don't care about spoiling it. Just at me. I'll tell you what's in it. <laughs> I don't expect they're going to send us another book. So uh, you could uh, at Shane, um, have him call you and then he will read you the flavor text in character <laughs> <laughs> in voice. <laughs> I don't care who your grandsire is. <laughs> Stop. No. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Uh, if you do that, you will get access to our Character Creation Forge Codex, uh, of which we have no example in this episode. Hey! <laughs> but, but last episode or the next episode, uh, you will hear an example of the Character Creation Forge. It is a list of every build that we have ever built. Um, 150-something of them. That's a lot of them. Dear Lord, I just updated it the other day. There's so many. Yeah. We're also giving away some audiobooks. We have four download codes from Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations on Audible. And we're giving them away to select patrons. So here's the deal. Uh, on August 16th, we will do two drawings. Uh, we will give away three codes to, I, I don't know, is it a download? To Audible. To access it on Audible. Yes, it is a download. Okay. Uh, so we will give away three codes uh, to three patrons. So if you're already a patron, you're already entered. And if you are a new patron, then you will be entered in for those three codes as well. Uh, we'll announce that on the air and send out the code via email. So at least one of those codes is going to go to a new patron because we're reserving one of them uh, for someone who pledges to our Patreon between now and the drawing on August 16th. So if you do pledge right now, you'll be entered into both of those drawings. Um, and thank you to uh, Mike Shea and Rudy Basso. Mike Shea is Life Flourish. He wrote the book and Rudy Basso read the book for Audible. They provided those codes to us. So thank you to them. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? It has been three whole years since we started this show, and we couldn't cram our annual anniversary celebration into a single episode. So beginning next week, uh, we're starting the celebration. We'll be talking with Ken Height, who is the creator of not just what we just talked about this entire episode, Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition, but also Knights Black Agents and the Dracula Dossier. 
and the fall of Delta Green and some Chaosium source books for Call of Cthulhu. Nope, not those. And some GURP source books (laughs) and like some White Wolf stuff. Like just a lot. He's just written a lot. Uh, and what is, what about the character creation forge? Uh, we'll be taking a note from Vampire, and we'll be building the Nosferatu. So that means that we will be uh, creating a twentieth level, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons character, who is the Nosferatu. Well, that's it for episode one fifty six of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane, and I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>